This morning's scripture comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 8. If you're using a Blue Shed Bible, it's on page 957. Nope, 975. And the large print Bibles, it's 1,506. Again, Luke 24, 1 through 8. So, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces on the ground. But the men said to them, why? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. The Lord be with you. If we haven't met, my name's Tim, and I have the pleasure of being one of the pastors here. I've also taken part in some not-so-pleasurable things in my life. On the screen, you'll see this is a picture from last May. This is the finish line of the Bayshore Marathon. Now, it's, it's a screenshot because I wasn't taking the picture, I'm in it. You'll see these two dudes highlighted by these arrows, right? That is me and my good friend Kyle Lake, our family life pastor, and we are crossing the finish line at the same time. Now, our text today has multiple angles to it. So this is one way to look at this photo. It's me and Kyle. It was amazing to cross the finish line, to kind of catch up to my really great friend and do this together. It was also a great weekend. We ran this uh, with our spouses, and it was really stellar. Here's us on the screen there. Next slide. Loving that. And so that's another angle to this story. And yet another angle, back to the finish line. There's things that only appear over time. That really, Kyle ran a great marathon. And I ran the half marathon. (laughs) There's always more to the story as we kind of take these and turn the gem a little bit and wonder what different angles are coming at us. And I think our text is like that today. We encounter this question, this beautifully curious question in Luke 24 when these, these women, they come to the tomb of Jesus. They're rushing there, presumably to finish the work that may not have been done on Friday. Friday at sunset begins the Sabbath and Christ is crucified. He died. He is taken out and is buried quickly because the sun is setting and no work can happen on the Sabbath. And so the Gospel of John tells us that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, he, as we sang, Joseph's tomb is where Christ is laid, uh, partners with Nicodemus, this guy who shows up earlier in the book of John, and they bring spices. They bring 
almost 75 to 100 pounds of uh, myrrh and aloe powder. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars of spices that they lay Jesus with to to help uh, with the decay and the smell in Jewish tradition. They were not embalmers. The Jews were not, and so they would pack spices around the body. And these were rare things. I mean, these were more rare than a Stanley Tumbler on Christmas Eve. Like, you can't get these things. Um, So their devotion to the Lord is really high. Myrrh and aloe powder. And then the story continues. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb when they get there. They're like, what is going on? They didn't find the body of the Lord. And while they're wondering and confused... These two men in bright clothes appear. And these women are scared. The text says they bow down with their faces to the ground. All sorts of things going through their mind. And then this question comes up to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? A very faithfully curious question. A very curious question. Why do you look for the living among the dead. At first glance, this question might seem simple, right? Oh yeah, okay, there's, there was something dead and now it's living, it's Jesus, yay, right? And we get to read that with like a couple thousand years of distance. But as you dig into this particular question and turn it around for a couple days or weeks as our teaching team has, you begin to think and see that this has so many nuances and angles, curiosities and bewilderments. Like how did Tim finish a marathon with Kyle? And so I want to do that a little bit today with us, to take this question and and dig into it and hold it up and turn it around a little bit. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? It's a strange way to announce the resurrection of Jesus. It's indirect and it kind of hits us funny. And, And so I think it's appropriate that we can together follow in the footsteps of some of the fourth century theologians, Origen, Augustine, and the like, and kind of play with this as kind of an allegorical interpretive question, that we can hold this question in light of the whole canon of scripture and say, what does this, what can this mean for us? Maybe it's a different meaning for, for a couple of us. The spirit wants to speak individually to us as we look at this. So let's do it. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? At first, this question, depending on how, how it's read or heard, can feel convicting, confronting even. It was two weeks ago, last time we were in this space, uh, Troy was preaching and he's talking about the crowds who are attending to and following Jesus. And when they get hungry and thirsty, these thousands of people, the disciples' first impulse is to send them away to get food. As opposed to taking their hunger and their thirst to the one who calls himself the bread of life and the keeper of living water. And I think this question pokes at that same dynamic that we take our search often elsewhere than to Jesus. We take our longings to places they, that can't fulfill. So the question, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Don't be looking for life in dead places. Could be one way we could take this. Don't be taking your desire for life and goodness and healing your desire for God to places and people that can't deliver. We'd be the ones looking for love in all the wrong places. There's one way to look at this text. 
Luke 15 gives us a picture. It's a parable of the father and the two sons. This youngest son has this angst in him where he has a longing for more, for life, for whatever's out there. Listen to a country song or a Disney movie and you're like, yeah, that's the thing. I want what's out there. And the son is longing for that. And instead of taking his desire to process with his loving father, he says, I'm going to take your inheritance and go out and look for this joy and fulfillment and deeper pleasure in all these other places. He takes his longing and inheritance to wild living and parties and sleeps it away, swiping right on anything that promises fulfillment. Just trying to fill his longing only to come to the painful conclusion that these things cannot fulfill, that he had been looking for life in places of death. And this could be one of the things these angels are inviting us to consider with their question. Could it be that one angle on this is a curb or a mirror that scripture acts as to remind us that not all places and not all patterns of life Bring life. In fact, the fruit of so many things with which we engage and take our longing to lead to death and frustration, isolation, disintegration, and destruction. For some of us, this is the penultimate question that we need to consider before looking at other questions posed by this text. Where are we looking for life in dead places? So maybe the invitation for us this morning before we continue or we step further into 2024 is the same invitation that came to that younger son. Come home. Come and be filled. Come and be met by the one who can fulfill you in Jesus Christ. No longer look for life in places of death. Stop running and stop trying. Stop scrolling and stop hiding. Maybe that is a question for some of us right now. That we have been settling for cemeteries when instead Christ has a celebration for us to encounter right in front of us. So come home, says Jesus. Now that's one question. Let's not be people who look for life in places of death. Now back to the tomb. We see these women. It's easy for us to see this story at such a distance. To hear it with a tone of judgment from the angel, right? Why do you look for what's living amongst the dead? And to feel like, oh, maybe we shouldn't be here. Maybe we're all wrong. But in fact, as our teaching team was struggling with this text, recognizing this is one of the few places in Scripture where we see faithful grieving. People doing the next best thing in a traumatic reality, coming to the tomb. And in fact... uh, I don't read the angels' words like that at all. I think their tone is one that is is coming through the same spirit that enabled Jesus to look at the rich young ruler in the book of Matthew. Despite his silly questions, the text says he looked at him and loved him. 
These confused women showing up with spices for someone who's not dead. I think they look at them and love them. And the same spirit is at work in this text as the one that was in Jesus. As he came to the tomb of Lazarus. Knowing his power and what was about to happen, he still wept and wailed with the family. Not as show, but as true solidarity as the one who has taken on flesh. So we get a picture in these women of a God who who is with us in the midst of mourning. Them who in the trauma of the past few days, they seem unable to access the promises of Jesus, which makes sense neurologically. We can't grasp, I can't get to those places because this is all I can see. And my next best step is to take what probably what money they had, which wasn't much, and pay for these expensive things to honor their fallen Lord. And so in the midst of this text, in the midst of all these other questions and ways in which I think the Spirit is inviting us to consider moving forward, we see a picture of faithful grieving. These women who would have gone out the night before when Sabbath ended at sunset, when at that time and still today in Jerusalem, the shops open when Shabbat ends so you can get the things you need for the next day. So they go out and get these spices and they prepare them into the night. This was a long project and yet they wake up first thing in the morning and go out of the city gates as soon as they open and attend to their Lord. We see a picture of a faithful grieving process. And so friends, if that is where you find yourself, take comfort. Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people for the work is done in Christ. So if this is a place for you to pause and hang on, do so. We see faithful grieving. And the Lord with them, offering presence and peace. Let's talk about spices, shall we? This is my favorite. I got into, as many people did, in this age group and in COVID, we got into smoking things uh, with pellets on grills, right? Got the smoker, smoked meats. This is maybe my favorite uh, rub. Spices, sugar, salt, pepper, whatever it is. It's so good that I ordered six of these from the Carolinas and they showed up yesterday. (laughs) Very excited. Reminded me of a story that a couple years ago, uh, some friends were planning a little get-together. A couple people, they're like, hey, barbecue style, that's going to be the theme. Great. I'm like, I got it. I'm doing this, right? I don't know if I was going to do ribs, going to do the pork butt or whatever, but I was like, this is it. And then as the text thread continued, as these things do, people started adding more and more people. And this became a larger and larger thing. And people started saying, I don't know about barbecue, let's do something fancy. And they started throwing out words like cuisine and things like that and countries in Europe. And I was like, this is not it. And before long, we're coming to a thing and we're dressing up, right? And I, and I pretty quickly realized that this thing I'm holding, these spices that I thought were the right thing for the right occasion, were woefully inadequate now for oysters and French cuisine. Not that you can't make it work, smokers out there, but really, the thing that I held in my hand was now inappropriate for the reality that was in front of me. I was not prepared for the celebration that we were about to encounter. And so let's use our imaginations a little bit. If we were the women at the tomb, 
They're holding these spices because they are expecting to encounter a dead body. And I wonder if it forces us to consider, in light of this question, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Are the things in our hands, are they adequate to the reality that God has put in front of us? For these women, they were prepared faithfully for a reality of death. And where do we as people of life and people of hope hold on to tools that help make sense of death when life is in front of us? The invitation to us then is to show up to wherever God has called us to arrive not with spices but with hope in hand. To be people of the possibility of a new reality. And you may say that's exactly what I lack is hope and possibility right now. Direct our attention to the author uh, Bell Hooks who says this, the space of our lack is also the space of our possibility. Could it be that God wants to come into this, to the voids of our life, to the places of despair, and do something different? So just as our first invitation, almost contradictory, the first invitation in this text is don't look for life in places of death. But I think the faithful Christian call is to look for life in the places of death. I think this question also poses this to us. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And had these women been reminded by their friends and disciples of Christ's promises, they could have replied, because that's what Jesus taught us to do, is to look for life in places of death, because that is what a Jesus people does. Let's look at the text again. This is the second half of the text. It begins like this. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you be crucified on the third day he'll be raised again. And then they remembered his words. What does it look like to be a community who remembers enough to show up with the appropriate things in our hand? Not spices that will simply help us deal with death and destruction, but instead with hope and possibility and the power of the Holy Spirit that rests in us. To be a people who remember and are reminded by one another of the reality that is in front of us in Jesus Christ. Maybe we're talking about the older brother in Luke 15 again. The end of the story, he shows up angry to this party. Instead of coming to eat, he shows up with resentment. He can't believe a new reality is in front of him. And the father says to him, my son, all I have is yours. What if he had shown up with that promise in mind, bringing with him food and drink and joy to join the celebration? All I have is yours. To be people of possibility, called to be people of hope in the midst of destruction. Last Monday, a number of us attended uh, a day at Hope College uh, in remembrance of Dr. King. And one of the quotes that stuck with me says, we must accept finite disappointment, said the great Reverend Doctor, but never lose infinite hope. 
Hope here is not wishing. Hope is not a mantra. Hope is something that is gritty and shows up in the places of wreckage and destruction with hope and strength and perseverance in hand. Hope is not something that we just say, let's just hope for a better future. Let's just try harder. But instead it leans into the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Saying this reality is not the end. This is not the final word. So that we can look for life in places of death. So we are prepared for the possibilities that God would have in front of us. Begging the question of you and I when we encounter these places of death and destruction and frustration and disintegration. What's in your hand? How many of us are holding spices that are woefully inadequate? So the hope to which we are called. What's in your hand? Where are you showing up with spices instead of hope? Remembering the promise of God. There's a lot of places, if you're like me. For some of us, it's wondering, how could this relationship ever ever be different? My father-in-law and I always fight like this. So I bring the tools of resignation and resentment with me. For some of us, how could could the church ever change? I see it going like this and like this. And so I'm just going to say, screw it. I'm going to do my own little church thing here, maybe. And we're not bringing actual hope to the very body of Christ. Though it be torn asunder, the church calls us to hope. Because it is Christ's body that doesn't stay broken. Where are those places where we are showing up with apathy in work, in relationships, prayer? It's also tempting to dismiss and say, that's just life, that's just normal. But the picture we get in the scriptures is one where people show up boldly to places of death. Just as Jesus wept at the tomb for the reality that was in front of him with Lazarus' death, he called forward in the power of the Spirit life in a place of death. A celebration in the cemetery. No longer was that going to be the final word. And we do not do this alone. Friends, I need you to show up with hope in hand for me. I will do my best to do that for you. And as a people who move withward together, this is one of the marks, one of the invitations of the New Testament power of the Spirit is that we are people who come up and show up with hope with one another, reminding each other, remember the good works of the Lord, remember the hope to which you are called, to stand with one another in the face of a tomb, to go to the cemetery together, to stand side by side when addiction is finally named and say, I'm going to be here and I'm going to pray with you until something changes. That, my friends, is the people of God who hold hope in their hands. Oftentimes our horizon of possibility is too low. We continually beat down with these realities of the world, strong as they are but we sing to and are held by a God who is larger and stronger. So imagine a people who are 
coming ready for the resurrection. Who are able to loose themselves of burial spices. Things that just make death a little bit better. But to be people who stand with one another in a valley of dry bones and say those things are going to live and breathe again and offer that kind of encouragement. Or Elijah in 1 Kings 18, where he says to those around him, grab an umbrella, because it's been a drought for three years, but that little cloud on the horizon is going to bring a storm of renewal. And to claim that and say, this is the hope we are moving forward in. So grab your umbrellas, because the Spirit wants to reign. And rain, depending on how you spell it. So Lord, fill our imaginations. In Lent, we get a chance in a couple weeks to explore what it means to pray more deeply and more robustly together. To pray, as somebody on our pastoral staff said, to pray impossible prayers. So as a people who are called to show up and look for life in dead places, let us do that together. And say, Lord, this, this is what you have promised. Show us how to live into your reality of life. For in Christ, we got to come ready for the celebration, even if it's in the cemetery. Holding hope in our hands. And it was Jesus, we opened this move at the table, often saying, the night in which he was betrayed. The text says it's the night, it's the time of darkness. Betrayals on the horizon. Jesus knows that death is imminent. And instead of showing up to that meal with his friends, with resignation and resentment and bitterness, he literally flips the script and says, in the face of death, I am going to give you life. In fact, I am going to take my body and I will break it for you so that you can carry me into the world that you would be fed when you are hungry and that you would know in your bones that this promise of life is true. And so we take and eat as well. We rehearse this story. And Jesus, in the face of death, in the face of of the impossible offers us new possibilities, saying this is the new promise in my blood. The new reality where this is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Back to our text. They remembered when the word was spoken to them, they remembered. And I imagine their spices dropped and they went to go prepare a feast to have a celebration that started in a cemetery. And so would you come and take an eight, eat and be a part of that celebration afresh today where the healing and promise of Jesus Christ is for you. Let us pray. Spirit of God, would you send your power upon this bread that we break and the cup that we bless together, that it would be unto us the communion of the body of Christ, that you would do for us in this meal that which we cannot do for ourselves. 
For God, our memories are short. Our will is weak. And so would you heal us, encourage us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill our hands with the tools of hope and possibility? With faithful prayers? Would you enable our bodies to take one step in front of the other, following you? And would you give us the courage, Lord, to show up for one another with hope when the other has none? And would your spirit reign and rule in this place and in our hearts and lives? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And so, friends, we come to these tables around this room to take and eat or come and be served up front, receive the body of Christ, receive the fulfillment of the Spirit. We have folks around the back who would love to pray with you. If there's some of those places that you've been looking for, life in dead places, and you just need to get that off your chest, come and be prayed for. If there is a new sense that God is filling your hands with something, you just need to tell it to somebody or to ask for clarification, come and be prayed for. Let this time and space be a blessing. Come and receive, come and be filled, come and be prayed for. For in doing so, we rehearse the story of Christ that we, that we say together in these three phrases, reminding one another so that we can remember this, say it together, that Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again. So come and take and eat and be filled and receive who you are, the body of Christ.